When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Ready. Play. Good afternoon, everybody. I uh, hope you like that little new intro I have for the channel. Um, we are here to discuss a certain recently retired tennis player. Uh, and I think you all can imagine who that is. Uh, I've just been fortunate enough to be going through this book, The Roger Federer Effect. And I have the authors of that book with me right now. Two Simons, I better take you off mute, otherwise you won't be able to answer my questions. Um, two Simons, one of which one or two of you may be familiar with already. I've had uh, Simon G on a couple of weeks ago to talk about si to talk about Stan Vavrinka. But also Simon Cambers has joined us today, who's the co-author of The Federer Effect. Um, Simon C, let's begin with you. How are you doing today? All right? I'm very well. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. No, thank you. And Simon G, nice to have you on again. Yes, yeah, nice to be back. And we're going to be talking about the the sort of second most famous male Swiss player today, Roger. Oh no, sorry, the other way around, perhaps. Um, Simon C, let's begin with you. How's how's it been going? The book obviously came out, I think, on the thirty first of October, at least in the UK. I believe it's going to be coming out in some other countries next year as well, right? Yeah, that's right. It was published on October thirty first, so it's been about three weeks. Um, it's due to be published in America. Mm -hmm on Valentine's Day, um, and hopefully it'll be uh, spreading around the world over the next few months. It's, it's been good. The response has been very good from the people that we know who've read it, um, and we're just trying to get the word out there now, make sure that everyone can see it. Including one or two shops in and around Wimbledon, right? Yeah, I was, I was there yesterday for some other interviews, and I popped into Wimbledon Books, which is a little bookshop on the high street, and just went in there and asked them if they would stock it enough I could sign it. And so they're doing that, which is great. And the uh, owner told me about uh, how Roger used to take his daughters in there uh, and read to them during the championships. You know, this is how relaxed Federer used to be when he was uh, busy winning Wimbledon all the time. He, he just sat in the corner and read to them and was left alone. And he, and he loved it. And Simon G, as you'll be called for the next, well, I say the next half an hour or so, was maybe you've been called Simon G and Simon C quite a lot in recent weeks. I don't know. If, I think this is the first time you've done a show together, right, Mr. Graf? Uh, I think so, yeah. Yeah, we had a few Zoom calls, of course, uh, the last two years with many people, but uh, first interview, I guess, yeah. Yeah, and how's it been going in terms of in terms of the book? And have you done a bit of promo stuff in Switzerland too? Uh, yes, well, basically we were on social media and uh, I've been quite busy the last two months translating it to German. Okay. Um, and uh, it will be out in Switzerland, Germany and Austria next week. So that was uh, basically my primary, uh, my primary uh, um, 
task the last last few few weeks uh, apart from trying to yeah spread the word that the book is out and uh, I mean everyone who's read it really liked it so uh, the more people who read it the better and uh, I think it would be quite a good Christmas present for everyone who's interested in in tennis <laughs> absolutely yes and of course as you say it's going to be or it is available pretty much in time for Christmas, obviously in English and also in German. I saw somebody tweeting Simon C. the other day. Um, when's it coming out in India? And I think it'll be sometime next year, maybe at the beginning of next year. Is that right? Simon C. Yeah, we're, we're hoping so. Yeah, it's um, uh, there's a distributor that we're trying to work with now, um, Pitch Publishing, who did the book uh, dealing with that. But yeah, there's a lot of interest from India. And obviously that's a huge market. So for us, that's great. But there are a lot of Indian fans uh, or fans in India of Federer and tennis yeah. in general. And so hopefully, yeah, it'll be out there soon. Cool. All right. Let's um, let's get into it. We've done the small talk, if you like, and we've talked about uh, where it is and what languages it'll be in. Um, first of all, I guess it's kind of a, a fairly obvious generic question. But but the, the angle, uh, Simon C., let's begin with you, the angle with which you've taken for this book, it is kind of different. It is perhaps unique. Um, it's not just simply a biography of, of where Roger grew up, how he got into tennis and how his career went. Um, what was the thinking, Simon C., behind the angle? Well, I mean, Simon, I, I should say that Simon Graf came to me um, with the idea in the first place of writing a, a new Federer book. And, you know, uh, he, he has already written a book on Roger and there have been quite a lot of books about Federer. So trying to find a new angle was the the main thing. But we both realised, and I think Simon in particular realised, the effect that he had, the impact that Federer had had, you know, why people were so drawn to him, you know, from all walks of life, not just in tennis, um, seemed to be something different to almost every player, really. You know, everyone has, a lot of the, a lot of the players have a lot of fans, but Federer crosses over into a lot of other sports, a lot of other areas in life in politics in music in film and we wanted to try and get that message across so the interesting part was trying to find a structure to fit that idea that that mm. was the uh, the main principle yeah i can imagine so simon graf you you're getting some of the praise there for the concept of course you have already written a, a book about federer so tell us the big differences between that book and, and this book simon g um they're completely different. Uh, also, my first book, which was it was published in uh, German first, and we had it translated to English, but we didn't really have a publisher in England or uh, in in the US, so it didn't really spread too much. Um, the first book was twenty chapters about Roger, and I didn't want to talk about the chronology of his uh, career because that's been done like uh, so many times, and I I wouldn't I would have found that quite boring to do that. To be honest, uh, so 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 I did twenty chapters uh, with different topics. It's like twenty essays, basically. So it was uh, Roger the Family Man, uh, Mirka, uh, what, what what her role was. It was about uh, him becoming a champion, him uh, uh, mastering his emotions. It was about um, uh, I, I talked to a professor about. Uh, the 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 impact Roger has on people and how they perceive him and how it will be for them once he hangs up his racket. I um, I wrote about Roger in literature, etc. So it was it was kind of a very broad and uh, it was uh, well received here in uh, in Switzerland and in Germany. Um, so it was a pity it wasn't it didn't spread uh, internationally too much. So I thought. Next time, if I do a book, I want to have it out in English first. So, uh, and um, the, the idea basically came up when I when I was in uh, Wimbledon Park queuing for uh, tickets for a for <laughs> for a story for our Sunday newspaper about five or six years ago, uh, together with a friend of mine, an American. Uh, so we we were there in a tent for like. Uh, 20, 28 hours uh, in total to get tickets. Of course, I did have an accreditation, so I didn't need the ticket, but he he did. And uh, he only got court one, but uh, 
it was uh, like it was so much fun be being there and just talking to all the people and uh, everyone had their Roger story like it was it was just amazing and uh, and he has impacted people on so many levels and uh, like they basically devoted the, their whole free time to Roger and and what was also very interesting like the, the stories are very different you you would think well okay uh, uh, everyone loves him because he's a elegant player or whatever but but like so many people are drawn to him on a on a different level so so i thought well i mean if he has impacted so many so many people around the world why not uh, write about that because that hasn't been done it, it's been done maybe there was a story in a in a in a newspaper once or twice but it hasn't really been uh, done properly so we we've really taken the time and uh um, these many interviews the last two years, and uh, it's been a great pleasure with Simon uh, to, to to work with him. Such a such a great uh, colleague and mate. So I'm, I'm I'm pleased you've given me a timeline, Simon G, because actually that's something I'm kind of particularly interested in, given the way the book came out end of October. I think he officially announced his retirement, sort of beginning middle of September, and obviously we had the Labour Cup as well uh, in that period, and. And you've given, a, I think, an idea there, Simon G, of, of it's about, about two years in the making, albeit the, the concept probably started many years before, or, or what are we looking at, Simon C? I think, yeah, it was it was certainly last year and this year that we did the interviews. I think the first interview I did, one of them was Darren Cahill, um, you know, the very well-known Australian coach who mm -hmm. coached Agassi and Hewitt to number one and to Simona Halep to number one. Um, and almost coached Federer. So I I, uh, I spoke to him, I think, in April last year, or March, April. So we spent most of the year, and we had to get the, the book done by the end of July. Okay. Um, which is, it's funny, because a lot of people sort of say, uh, oh, I haven't seen you for a while. You've obviously spent the last year writing the book. I'm like, well, yeah, but we've also been doing our other job at the same time. Yeah, right. We've been doing this on top. That's been the uh, hard part, but the fun part. So we had, after Wimbledon in particular, both uh, Simon and I spent the next two, two, three weeks just really finishing it off, putting it together. Mm -hmm. And the original idea was uh, the publishers were going to publish it in March of 2023, 20, uh, next year. Mm -hmm. But then, of course, Simon G heard that Roger was going to quit. Uh, he announced it later that day. And then we really worked hard with the publishers to turn it around very fast. Yeah. And, they, you know, they did a really great job with it to, mm -hmm. to do that because they've got, they publish a lot of books, pitch publishing. Um, so I think yeah. to devote extra time to our book was good of them um, and very important because we had to capitalize on his retirement and get in for the Christmas market in book sales. Um, and, it, you know, the sooner it, the closer it was to his retirement, the better. But, yeah, to answer your question, probably a year and a half, I'd say. Altogether. I mean, actually, Simon C., uh, well, actually, both of you, really, there, re there is a very current feel throughout, you know, whether, whether it's touching on the invasion of, of Ukraine, which, of course, yeah. uh, began in February this year, whether it's an image of, of Federer at Wimbledon and, and, and looking as dazzling as ever. Um, and I'm sure there's many other moments I was just thinking, wow, that was just a that just felt like a few weeks ago, if you like. Um and that, that, I think that's one of the charms of it, in a way. And it, it doesn't feel like it was rushed out at all. I mean, obviously, you'd, you'd done your bit anyway. It was yeah. just about the publishers sort of speeding things up a bit. And, and I think that's an excellent angle or excellent element to the book. Um, Simon G, was it quite as simple as you do four chapters, Simon C does four chapters kind of thing? You do the Swiss interviews, Simon C does the sort of global interviews, if you like, if you know what I mean? Or how, how did that work, Simon G? Well, it was a it was a process. Sorry, I had to Don't had worry. to move here um, at my office. Um, so it, it was it, it was a process. I mean, uh, of course, uh, we have our connections. Uh, Simon has his connections in, in in Britain. I have many connections in in Switzerland and internationally. We both have our connections. So there are people that we know better. Um, and of course, the one who knows one person better approached the person. Uh, um, so it's basically the, the Swiss people were contacted by me. Then I have uh, quite a few international uh, people I, I talk to, like Mats Willander or Marian Weida mm -hmm. and so forth, or, or someone from Germany like uh, Anne-Sophie Mutter, the, the famous violinist. 
so, so it was kind of natural, you know, like when someone felt uh, he had a better connection to a person, uh, he approached the person and um, like we, of, of course, we like the, the, the main challenge was that it, it didn't get too repetitive, like not that everyone says the same thing. So we really wanted very different stories. And uh, I think we, we managed. Uh, I think if you read the book, uh, it's not uh, the same thing all over again. No, uh, like the, the stories are very different uh, because Roger has uh, impacted people and uh, has uh, on, on like very differently. And, and they've had to do with him uh, on a very different level. Like uh, we had a, a, a director who did uh, commercials with him. Of course, he, mm -hmm. he, he, he gets to know him on a different level. Uh, in a different role than a, than a rival or than a, a fan or someone else. So, uh, and the, the interesting thing was like, um, I think a, 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 about a month before we had to finish everything, uh, we sent each other the respective chapters and uh, we, like, we didn't know all the contents of the chapters. Of course, we knew the idea more or less. And when I read it, I was uh, when I read Simon's chapters, I was so uh, I was so happy, and uh, I was I was uh, like it was. Uh, I thought it was just it matched perfectly, and uh, it was kind of a surprise, you know, to 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 read uh, his chapters. Of course, I knew what I was uh, writing about, and and uh, it was it was. Uh, I think it it really um, uh, complements. Uh, really well, so, so that was that was a lot of fun. Cool, Simon C. You're sort of nodding in agreement there. Have you got something to add as well to that point? Yeah, it was it was a really nice collaboration. I mean, it's funny because you know, obviously I write in English because I'm I'm British, but Simon's writing in English was quite close to my style, but with a nice you know, it was different, but it fitted fitted well. We didn't have to really work at anything to try and make it fit together. Um, and just, you know, the, the process of interviewing everyone was really good fun. I, I would mm -hmm. say, I should say, we, we um, initially we worked with an agent, uh, Nick Walters, who was very helpful uh, to us in terms of helping us with the structure of the book. Because what we didn't want it to be was a little bit like Simon was saying, you know, we didn't want it to be just one interview after another, after another, after another, with mm -hmm. no, you know, with no theme to it or no mm -hmm. thread going through. So... Nick helped us really with those chapter headings, with trying to think of you know Roger's relationship to the people he that we were interviewing, and that worked. That worked very well. That took a bit of time to figure out, um, but I think we I think we did it well in the end. But yeah, it was a very nice collaborative process, and you know I, I feel like I've read the book about fifty times myself, and you know, <laughs> desperately making sure there are no mistakes in it and all that sort of stuff. But it was it was good fun. Well, I think you'll be relieved to know that I, I didn't spot any. Um, but what, what I will say is I don't know how you both feel about this, but um, I've written a book too. But from the minute it was published, I haven't read it. I might have read a few lines, but that was it. I just don't want to read it in a way. Not that I, not that I dislike it or I'm not proud or I'm not happy with it. It's just that I don't want to find a typo or, or, or an error. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that no one's found one yet and told us, which which to me suggests that hopefully it's OK. But I've read little bits and, you know, my son read a little bit that involves him at the end um, mm -hmm. yesterday. So but, yeah, I haven't read the whole thing again yet. Anyway, let's let's talk about the effect, because, of course, that's to be honest with you. I mean, there's only three words or, or with obviously the four, but. But actually, it is the the theme of, of the effect that that the Roger has or has had on various people. Uh, I mean, I just wrote these names down randomly quickly before we went live. But from Tony Nadal, by the way, this is going to be a real smorgasbord of people I'm going to mention. From Tony Nadal to John Burko, from Pat Rafter to super fans like Scarlett Lee and uh, Sunita Sigtia. I hope I've said your name right. You know, from childhood play players and friends that he you know he played with. Um, both on the court and off the court, to wrestlers who help him set, set him up with his wife. There's a real broad smorgasbord there. I guess, I'll come to you, Simon G. I guess for me, as somebody who's a bit newer to the game of, of journalism, if you like, in the media, um, what is what stands out for me is the breadth of contacts or, or the people that you managed to get on board for this. Uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks for the compliment. Um, it, was, it was quite... Uh 
quite some work the, for the last two years. Of course, we've we've traveled many names, and uh, some came up, some maybe didn't work out, others did work out, and uh, some we had to ask Roger if it's okay if we approach them, like uh, like Urs Burgler, the, um, the guy who um, uh, was the matchmaker for Mirka and 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 Roger, and uh, Roger said, yeah, it's it's okay, you can talk to him. Uh, so, um, I mean, I think if you're longer on the scene, like uh, Simon and I are, uh, it helps because you know people and you know, uh, like, um, they know you and they know your work uh, through mo social media or, or um, maybe news. Uh, for, for Simon, more more through through his the, the, the pieces he writes about. I write in German, so maybe that's not so internationally known. But uh, through social media or through bits of uh, information that we share, and um, for example, I, I remember it was like maybe 15 years ago when I wanted to do an interview with Mats Wilander in Paris. So I, uh, I basically followed him around every day. Um, and like, like, and uh, he was, he was getting really annoyed and, <laughs> and in the end he said, well, you know what? Um, I want to get rid of you. So let's do the interview. <laughs> so, so then we, we, we sat together for like a half an hour and it was a, it was a great interview. And since then, I think he really appreciated that I, that I, uh, just didn't go away, that I really wanted to talk to him. And since then, uh, like we always chat when we see each other at the Grand Slam tournaments. So, so it kind of, I think it helps if people know you and they know your work. And um, that doesn't happen overnight. I think uh, like I've been on tour for 25 years, uh, Simon as well. So um, I think that's a, probably an asset you, you can't really, there's no shortcuts, I, I guess. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. There are moments in the book of, of sort of a little bit of sadness, if you like. Uh, there's also a few chuckle moments. I used to, uh, in my notes, uh, I would just write chuckle moment and I'd write the page uh, or the line uh, that it was. I'm, I can't mention them all right now, of course, but I will mention just one or two. Uh, I, I love the anecdotes of some of the kids that managed to beat Roger, such as Marco uh, Chiudelli. Am I saying that right, Simon G? Chiudinelli. Goodinelli, thank you. Um, uh, he, had, I think, he won the, the match nine seven. I think they obviously just played mm -hmm. games first to nine. Um, and I also liked it when when um, Marco recounted their head to head on Tekken, the the computer yeah. game, being one hundred and ninety eight <laughs> to two. Uh, I think that was also in Roger's favour. Uh, yes. That was in Roger's favour. So yeah, he had a pretty good head to head on on Tekken as well. And and there were so many more like that. And but uh, perhaps particularly during the childhood, I even remember a moment when I'm reading it, just going, "Oh wow!" And and, and it might surprise both of you that wow moment was when you mentioned that Roger first saw his name or first reached the ATP rankings. I mm -hmm. think it was 800 and something. I've got it mm -hmm. written, 803. So mm -hmm. I don't know why this impacted me as as, as, as somebody who, uh, of course, reaching number one, reaching top 10, winning majors and stuff. But I, I do think that as, as, as an amateur player and just seeing you – you're there on the on the list. I don't know why that 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 moment stood out. I'm guessing that was sort of Simon. That was probably in a part of the book that you sort of worked on a bit more, Simon G. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I worked uh, a lot on his uh, childhood, um, and uh, the interesting thing is he's he's just uh, a normal person, I guess. You know, like it's he's not a. Uh, it's quite easy to relate to him. I, I I mean, he had a normal youth. He 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 drove uh, to to tennis practice uh, by bicycle. His parents were quite busy working and uh, he had just had the passion for the for the sport. And uh, I, I think the main thing is that you get to play your sport 
as much as you like when you're young. So I think Marco Houdinelli, as you mentioned, like the he he was he, he was uh, he was playing with him for hours and hours uh, when when they were young, and I think it just helps to develop uh, your kind of your your, your game style and uh, to 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 develop the joy of playing and uh, those uh, younger years that were quite uh, normal years. Uh, I think were were the key to to his uh, longevity and to his success and to his uh, that he was able to keep the joy uh, so many for so many years and I mean he still loves to play tennis. I as this this summer, which was obviously quite difficult for him, I, I saw him many times uh, in our local club when he was playing with uh, juniors, and he's just like he, he's just fooling around all the time and uh, hitting balls and kind of the, it's so much fun when he practices with 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 young people. He just loves that uh, tennis tennis environment. He just loves to play, and I think that uh, that was instilled early on. Simon G, and I, I will come back to you, Simon C, in a moment, but um, but but also Simon G, tinged with sadness, of course, and it, it is impossible to write a book about the Federer, about Federer, sorry, and also obviously the effect. Well, there were also people that had an effect on on Roger himself, uh, mm -hmm. such as Peter Carter. Um, mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about Peter Carter, because I'm sure many Roger fans do know about him and, and, and his influence, but there may be one or two that don't. And also just tell us about the way you sort of, you know, he got touched upon, particularly in the early parts of the book. Yeah, I mean, uh, Peter was a very, uh, how should I say, sensitive guy. And uh, I think he, he had a big role, uh, not only teaching him that kind of uh, flow, uh, flowing way of playing tennis, but also uh, the, the teaching him the respect for the opponent. I think uh, Roger was always respectful. And uh, I think uh, also the connection to Austra to all the Australians uh, came from there. And uh, unfortunately, Peter uh, died in an accident quite early on. And Roger was not yet a Grand Slam champion. It was in 2002. And it was a very, very difficult time for him when he learned that uh, he was in North America. and and flew back for the funeral uh, to Basel. Uh, but it might have uh, helped him to grow as a player and as a, as a person, because uh, like about 11 months later, he became a Wimbledon champion for the first time. So, so uh, it, it was a very uh, uh, sad period uh, in his life, but I think it helped him mature. Mm -hmm. When, when I'm reading some of the early passages about these people that, that he met when he was younger, um, particularly childhood friends and people that played with him, there is also an element of me reading it thinking, I hope this has a, a happy ending. And what do I mean by that? I mean that they're still in touch today. And, and normally, I think pretty much all of them, there is a moment when they sort of, you know, met again, whether it be, I think, at Indian Wells, there was one of the one of the youngsters that he met there for, you know, a period or or all of them. There does still seem to be a connection. There might be years in between, but um, that's the happy ending that I was constantly searching for at the end of each little passage on on the players from his from his youth, if you like, Simon G. I don't know if you felt that if you knew that the writer, the, the reader would be thinking that as they read it, Simon G. Yeah, I, I think it's it's a. Um... It's so interesting that he still remembers everything from his youth and from his junior career and from like he doesn't forget the people that he met uh, when he was a when he was a young player uh, a, fr a friend of mine who, who who used to work as a tennis journalist as well Mathieu Eschmann he was in Equiblon in the National Tennis Center when Roger was there I think he's one or two years older he has a 0 and 1 record against Roger by the way and uh, so 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 we so uh, two years ago just before the pandemic uh, we we were, we went to interview Roger in uh, in Dubai actually and and it was it was so much fun we were we like uh, he he remembered everything they they had uh, gone through in in Equiblon and the, the, those younger times and 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 it just has a, a a way to connect with people, you know. That that's a, I think quite amazing. He knows how to to, to open people, and also like a, just with a few words, he he basically summed up the like the strengths and weaknesses of of my of my journalist colleague and. Uh, 
So that we were uh, like just in uh, two minutes, we were basically in the right in the middle of it. So uh, I think his connection to uh, his his uh, ability to connect with people is 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 amazing. Simon C, uh, you've had a little breather there. I hope you're ready to go again. Um, I noticed you you um, touched on a little teaser on Twitter earlier. You you released this um, little tiny uh, passage with Andy Murray. Um, we've sort of skipped a fair bit, I know, from the childhood, but we, uh, uh, there's so many players and things I want to speak about that I do. I actually had this in my notes because I felt there was at times during the book I was thinking, you know. Um, Maybe Federer has beaten this guy before they've already taken the court. And that angle, by the way, can come from any angle. It can just be the aura with which Federer had as, as, the, as the career, you know, and the titles racked up. But it could also be at times maybe his friendship and, and friendliness, if you like, that could also bamboozle his opponents in that, that, that Roger could easily sort of switch from that childlike mode and playing around to slam mode, match mode, if you like. Tell us about this little bit, though, as well with Andy Murray and that I think the, the element that you touched upon is that, that he wanted to learn on how to dislike the guy, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, it's, it is a, it's a common theme, actually, amongst a few of the people that, that we spoke to. But, yeah, um, Mark Petchy, who coached Andy Murray in the early days and also a little bit uh, more recently, um, was really insightful about, you know, it's just how how nicer guy Roger is off the court um you know he's an absolute he was an absolute killer on it because he was so good <laughs> but off the court he he just was able to you know switch into his normal mode of being just as nice and therefore very hard when you've been walloped in a match to actually dislike the person if they're sitting there chatting nicely to you so this one was, he, he said Andy Murray was really struggling in, in the early days against Federer. Murray had a good record against him. He, he sort of liked to give him a bit of junk, no pace, short slices, all that sort of stuff. And it got in Federer's head a little bit. But every time they played in a big match, be it the US Open final in 2008, Australia in 2010, uh, and then Wimbledon, of course, the big one in 2012, when he made Andy cry, or maybe that was Sue Barker. But um, the, the, the thing is, he, he was able to switch it on in the slams. And Andy, according to Mark Petchy, needed to find some way or try to find a way to dislike him. And it, he didn't really find it. He was able to beat him at times. He beat him in the Olympics, which was a big turning point in Andy Murray's career. Um, but it, it's really fascinating to me that people had to find a reason to dislike someone to try and beat him. Because if you went on the court just in normal mode, maybe that aura and everything that Federer has would just be too much for you to really want that, that little extra edge to beat him. I mean, Andy Roddick's talked about the same sort of stuff. James Blake in the book is great. You know, he said he'd played him once in Miami, I think, and uh, Federer absolutely killed him. And uh, beforehand, they were chatting in the locker room, you know, about families and stuff. Then Federer walks on, absolutely yeah. mullers him in straight sets. They come off court and Federer's like, well, that was good fun, wasn't it? And James Blake's like, no, it wasn't. Might have been for you, but not me. Yeah, you know, right. It's, it's, yeah. A common, it's a common theme amongst a lot of people. And there's another thing to do with that. I, I, I used to wonder whether Federer invited the young players, the promising, really good young players, to play with him in order that, yes, he would get something out of it. And, of course, they would. It was amazing for them. But he would also keep a little bit of a psychological edge as a result, you know, maybe of having these players close to him rather than being away and just thinking, oh, it's an old man I can beat. So it, Tanasi Kokonakis spoke a little bit about that. I don't, I don't think anyone really thinks that he did that, that deliberately. But I've often thought that that is with, with these great champions. Novak does it a little bit too. Um, you know, Nadal's got Kasper Ruud training at his academy. Kasper mm -hmm. can't beat Nadal. You know, it's mm -hmm. a until that barrier is broken, it's a, it's always an interesting topic. But yeah, I, I love the fact that Murray, as great a player as he was, needed to try and change something because Federer was just able to switch from being that killer on court to being such a nice person. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Uh, I'll, I'll give you one more, uh, one more serve, uh, Simon C, and see how you can deal with a, with a plum like you have done already. Um, we, we touched on Rafa. Um, I think it's impossible not to um when when talking about Federer's careers i mean they're so intertwined for various reasons um you you guys spoke to to tony nadal as well who was was gushing in his praise i remember that 2008 final back in those days their families were kind of on top of each other in and are now much more separate and and i think um the the friendship now has kind of built possibly even since or from that final um uh, was it you simon c who spoke to tony or or simon c how yeah, was it was, that? It was, it was. It was really good fun. It was one of those um, interviews. I, I didn't get to. We tried to see him in person, but he was moving around. So I ended up speaking to him. He was on his way in a car to uh, an awards evening or something with his wife. So it was interspersed with, uh, "Hang on, we're going this way." And wait a minute, we need to move on. <laughs> so it was fun. But he was, <clears throat> you know, he was really great on uh, on Roger. The families really like each other. I think Simon G can tell you that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of respect. Um, they've come up, you know, even though Roger won things before Rafa did, they've come up pretty much together. Uh, Roger had to change his game to try and beat Nadal. Uh, is the only person that, that that was the case for. Everyone else, he could just play his natural game without really thinking about it at first. Um and yeah, Tony was Tony was great. I I really enjoyed the bits where Tony not only where he says that Roger had lovely hair when he first saw <laughs> him, but I liked the the way he described. He says I like players, you know, it's not just how they hit the ball; it's it's what happens along the way with the ball. You know, the, it's not just the shot; it's the the style. And he really admired watching mm-hmm. Federer. And it, you know, he talked about you could look back in interviews with him over the years. He's He's always said that Federer was his favourite player to watch. Um, but he also talked tactically about how it was quite straightforward for Rafa at first. Stick it on Roger's backhand and hope it breaks down. That was the, the game plan. And on clay with the ball above his shoulder, that worked for a long time until Tony also talked about when it changed, which was really good, uh, 2017 Australian Open. Um, and it brings me again to this word, the effect, because at times there we're kind of talking about the Nadal effect, if you like, on mm-hmm. on Roger. But I also think, um, and this is going to be a theme pretty much throughout his career, uh, there are obviously plenty of coaches you know, that, that, that come and go. There seems to be a, a, a period of success pretty much under every single coach, if you like. Um, there's a there's obviously a strategic reason for moving on. Uh, as a as a football fan myself, I, I look at that relationship between player and coach a bit like a football coach and his assistant. The assistant in this in this situation is actually the coach, if you like, and the player is the sort of the power broker, if you like. And 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 I just thought of, of Ferguson and how he would more or less seamlessly go and the success would continue with the next coach. But there would be progression too. There would be learning. And and Simon G, I think arguably the the the, the coach for me, talking about the Nadal point there, and we've got an image on the screen right now of their last ever uh, match uh, at Wimbledon in 2019. This sort of rounded off a period of, of Roger's career. I think the last six matches they had together, I think Roger won four, something like that. He'd really turned that rivalry wild, wild mm-hmm. around. And I guess we have to touch upon even Lubacic, but but all of his coaches. Um, I don't know who wants to take this question on. Maybe let's have Simon G for this one. I guess all of his coaches from from youth to to, to the end, really. But, but Lubacic in particular, uh, talking about the effect that, that they had on Roger, um, was just immense and that there was always success if you like that that okay there was there were periods in the mid 2010s if you like but but it came back again and arguably his greatest achievement Simon Simon G yeah I think he was always open uh to change I mean if you're talking about the the uh, I think the, the there was a p- period of time from 2003 until 2006 or seven well, he just dominated the whole uh, scene, so he didn't really have to do anything crazy. 
And then uh, really Rafa and, and, and Novak made it much more difficult for him. So he needed new inputs. Uh, he, he, he needed a, a different playing style. Like he first, he, he worked with Tony Roach, then he, he, he turned to Paul Anacone to become more, uh, uh, more of a, um, a aggressive player again, going forward, uh, more often. Then he, uh, he, uh, he, he brought, uh, Stefan Edberg in and, uh, I thought like they, he didn't win a Grand Slam title with Stefan Edberg as his coach, but I think his, uh, his impact was, was immense. I think that period should have, uh, deserved at least two Grand Slam titles because I think he he really turned his game around to being more aggressive because he like from 2003 until maybe 2007 he was just so dominant from the baseline he didn't really have to do anything crazy and uh, if you look at those matches of course it's it's uh, it's it's incredible how how well he plays from the baseline but it's not very spectacular and uh, I think the when he had to change and be become more aggressive again with Stefan Edberg and then with uh, Ivan Lubicic, obviously the 2017 finals against uh, in the Australian Open against Rafa stands out. But I mean, he won he won another three Grand Slam titles, and uh, uh, I, I, I think it was uh, I would say that was most fun watching Roger uh, that period. Maybe Australian Open 2017. Uh, or even uh, a few matches uh, with uh, w w when Stefan Edberg was his coach. I, I think he really evolved, and uh, um, I, I think that's a big. Well, like he was the best of the world, and then he was able or open to change, and I think that's quite uh, quite an accomplishment. Definitely, yeah. Um... Listen, I think Simon G again, I guess we have to also talk about the effect that, that uh, Mirka had on him uh, and obviously having a family and his parents as well. If you could sort of sum up, Simon G, the effect that, that Mirka, of course, because something we didn't really touch upon, but I think we must, is the, the way Roger was as a teenager, in particular as a tennis player, mm -hmm. would be, for some anyway, would be unrecognizable for them from the cool, calm and collected figure we saw throughout most of his professional career, right? Absolutely. Uh, I think he just had to uh, mature uh, after he was like, he was very ambitious as a young player and he didn't really accept uh, uh, anything less than perfect. So that was quite difficult for him. Uh, I think he, he matured uh, quite fast when he was on, on tour. And uh, I think Mirka also helped him a great deal because she she'd been a tennis pro too, but she had to uh, hang up the racket quite early because she had uh, uh, injury problems. And I think she she always wanted Roger to maximize his potential. She she saw how good he was, and uh, I think she did everything so he could uh, be the best player he can. And I think he wasn't uh, like i think it helped him she, she's a little bit older than him and uh, i think she really uh, had a great impact on him becoming more mature and more collected and also very professional off the court uh, he was always a nice guy and he was always kind of a fun guy to be around but he became much more professional uh, uh, in uh, when he was uh, together with mirka and uh, i mean i i, I I remember I, I spoke to her former coach who went to the first junior Grand Slams with Mirka and uh, he, uh, uh, he, he said what, what struck him, um, how, how independent she always was. Like the, there were other girls, they were driven by their parents to the practice and basically they basically carried their, their uh, racket bags onto the court and Mirka was always uh, extremely independent like she she just uh she knew what she wanted and uh she wasn't extremely talented she was a good athlete but she wasn't extremely talented in terms of uh, uh ball striking but uh early on she was she was very independent and uh, I, I think she 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 managed uh, the whole life and and really uh, of rogers and really helped him uh become become the, the player uh he became when he was on uh, like when he was 
became number one in uh, at the beginning of 2004, winning his first Grand Slam title in Wimbledon 2003. And uh, so great impact. And of course, he would have stopped way earlier had she not uh, uh, agreed to still travel with the family to different places and be with him and basically devote their whole lives to 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 his career because he's a family man and he doesn't want to be separated from his family for like two months or whatever like like so so the family was always there and Mirka always uh, managed everything and uh, she's kind of a mysterious figure because she hasn't given any interviews for like 15 years okay uh, of course I, I I've known her uh, before but uh, like she 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 hasn't really I, I mean I spoke to her uh friendly this this summer for example but but she hasn't really given any interviews so so it's quite a, she's quite a mysterious figure but a big influence on Roger for sure sure um there are so many other stories from from super fans uh as well if you like in the book there's also some some stories of course and this is this also adds to the recency thing that I that I mentioned about how it feels you know some of these stories could almost be in the newspaper from yesterday because we had the story of course with the the teenagers uh, in Italy, playing tennis from one side of the roof to the other, that became a, a viral YouTube internet sensation. That Roger ends up meeting them. We've also got more emotional stories in, in a way, such as the one with, uh, I hope I'm saying it correctly, Mark Krejcian. Is that right, Simon C? I, I, I'm not sure, but I think Krejcian, maybe. Krejcian. Who's obviously a, a, a kid uh, who uh, sadly had to lose his leg due to to an unfortunate cancer that he had in his ankle. Fortunately, there's a there's a happy ending aside, you know, in that that he was able to to get to move on from that. But how Roger touched his life, and and I mm. urge you obviously to get the book for to get more info on that. Are there are there any stories, Simon C, that I've missed out that you really think this this really impacted me as as the author? Um, I, I mean, I, I loved, I loved the, uh, I loved talking to, well, but two actually, I loved John Berker, who's the former Speaker of the House of Commons, um, <laughs> is a controversial figure, but he uh, famously managed to get Roger Federer's name into the into the Parliament, into Hansard, the, the official uh, record of Parliament, uh, several times, and I spoke to him for about an hour and ten minutes one morning. Um, and it could really have been four or five hours. He, he is a total Federer obsessive. I mean, it's, it's, it's astonishing the detail of, of what he knows about Roger. But um, he, uh, yeah, he was really interesting. So I loved, loved hearing that stuff and the way Theresa May, would, who was prime minister at the time, yeah. would be wary of popping into his office to ask him something if Federer had lost a, a big match. Um, but I, I really enjoyed speaking to Darren Cahill about um, the time when he and Peter Carter well, they were best friends, you know, and you, you've already touched on the Peter Carter story, but listening to the way that they watched uh, Federer and Leighton Hewitt, because Cahill was coaching Hewitt as a teenager, and there was the rivalry between Carter and Hewitt about, uh, Carter and uh, Cahill about who had the best player. Um, they were very evenly matched on court. Uh, Leighton won quite a lot of the early professional matches between the two. Um, but I, I loved that sort of personal interaction and how, Cahill is still so affected by the death of Peter Carter that he sees Peter in Federer. And when he speaks to him, sometimes it's great and he loves it. And other times it's just too emotional for him to, to handle. And I, I found that very touching. I also loved speaking to Pat Rafter, who was great about, uh, you know, he said Federer was quite mentally weak when they first played. But they took him, the Aussies took him under their wing and he would go out for a beer with them and all that sort of stuff, hang around socially. And while I was talking to Rafter, we were talking about serve and volley and stuff. And I swear that by the time we'd finished the call, he was thinking about having a comeback. He was he was really excited. <laughs> so that that was nice. Um, it was it was really great speaking to all these people. And the thing that flooded through, as Simon Graf has already mentioned, is Federer's joy of playing tennis and his happiness mm. on court, mm. and how goofy a kid he was, and he still is. If you talk to him, I saw him at the Labour Cup. And we talked about the book and, and he was, you know, he, he was very complimentary and uh, positive and promises that he'll read it. And I said, I've said a couple of times, I, I really don't care if he, if he meant it or not. It was just a nice thing to say. So, Absolutely. yeah, it was it was a pleasure to write.
With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I've got a couple more questions. I've already taken up plenty of your time, but I have got a couple more. Um, may, may, I, Go on. Yes, uh, uh, may I mention two or three interviews as well? Simon, you of course you can. I'm just conscious of your time. I have another hour, by the way, so but I'm worried about okay, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Simon G, tell us the same question for you. Um, tell me what were your highlights in the book? Uh, yes, well, many highlights, of course, uh, on, on different levels. Um, I really love talking to uh, uh, Anne-Sophie Mutter, the violinist, who is a, mm-hmm. she's a world-class violinist. And um, she, like, it, I talked to her for like 40 minutes and... Uh, how he did, she describes Roger's mastery, like mm-hmm. was just amazing. Like uh, she, she's such a smart, smart woman, and she really uh, like um, she, 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 she said so many things about his game and about what touched her that struck me. Uh, so that was like uh, an amazing conversation, and she was like, uh, we had the uh, I was working hard to get the interview for many months. And uh, when we got it on on Zoom, she was like switched on, and basically every sentence she said was quotable. Like that was unbelievable. And what I really liked was the the interviews with the two so-called super fans, Sunita and Scarlett Mm -hmm. from uh, Toronto and from uh, uh, India, who uh, just how how they devoted their whole life to Roger and. uh, like what what made them uh, appreciate or love him so, so much and uh, all the things they've done to to watch his matches and why well, just um uh, uh, like in all all those years um of course uh, i think you've mentioned Danny Schneider he was yeah. basically the the first uh, rival of his and mm-hmm. um uh, he, he was kind of forgotten and uh yeah He's a really interesting, smart guy, and uh, he beat Roger the first eight times when they were junior. Yeah. That's uh, a chuckle moment, by the way. That's another one of those chuckle moments that you're reading. Oh, okay, that's pretty cool. And uh, and and, and uh, like there's a is a an in, uh, a video I'm not I am not allowed to share where in which Roger confirms that uh, <laughs> I, I write about it. I write about it in uh, in the book, but I. I uh, then he said, "You can't share that," uh, which of course I won't. Um, but the, it was uh, like when they meet again in Indian Wells, like 15 years later, and mm-hmm. everything is still like before. You know, they're just 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 uh, joking around. So uh, I think that uh, speaks volumes. So I mean, but so many interesting interviews, and I, I thought that's the, the the that was the beauty of writing it. Uh, uh, talking to so many people and uh, getting such a broad view on on his uh, on his impact and uh, I mean Stan Smith uh, I spoke to Stan Smith when I was in uh, when I was in Zurich uh, who uh, who likes Roger a lot but who doesn't like Roger to uh, sell shoes that look like yes. his <laughs> so so so, uh, so many fun moments and uh, so it's been. Uh, it's been great writing the book, and I, I really hope we can uh, we can get the word out. Yeah, I should, yeah. I should, just, I should just mention um, I loved talking to Mary Carrillo. In fact, they're all great. Mary yeah. Carrillo about commentating on Federer. She was yeah. exactly like Simon said, quotable every every line. And also to Ella Ling, the photographer, about yeah. how to photograph, you know, somebody who makes the, the the game look so easy. It's fascinating to speak to all these different people. Yeah, I, I mean, Ella, in a way, I mean, probably for many people within tennis has been been pretty well known for a long time. But but I think this image, of course, which she took just recently um, at the Labour Cup, really sort of uh, propelled her into another stratosphere. I saw on CNN, among other things. And, and of course, I think you spoke to Ella as well. So so, I mean, uh, I, I do want to get your thoughts on the the last few weeks, if you like, from the minute the the announcement came 
on uh, on Twitter, I think it was, or social media, I think he released that. I thought it was just five and a half minutes of of, of, of gold, and I mean that in, in in the best possible way. I think every single word and emphasis was 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 kind of on a par in some ways of, of how he's, he never put a foot wrong. And, and I even like the classy way he did it, just audio-wise. I, I, I think it might have been quite difficult for him with a camera, but we, we kind of understood that. And then, of course, we have this, this farewell in, in, in London at the Labour Cup and, and this image in particular. Um, Simon G., what were your thoughts about the farewell and, and, and this image in particular? Uh, I love the image because it uh, kind of uh, shows that you can be rivals and you can be friends uh, on, a, on, a, on a like you can be rivals on the hi- highest stage and still be friends. I think that's a great, great message. Uh, I don't think it happens so often. I think it took Roger quite a while to appreciate Rafa because mm-hmm. at first he, he, I mean, he was the one who beat him many times. And uh, that wasn't a very pleasant thing for him. Like he he didn't he didn't like to lose. Uh, mm-hmm. But the, I, I think the the more that the longer the more he appreciated that what Rafa meant to him and that Rafa made him change and uh, Rafa made him discover a new ways of winning points and being more aggressive. And uh, I think the whole rivalry just uh, gave us so many uh, amazing moments. I mean, if, uh, I think Roger fans will probably remember most the Australian Open finals 2017. Rafa fans probably more, more uh, Wimbledon 2008. Those are most probably the two matches that mean the most for each of them. Yeah. Simon C, have you got anything to add on the on the farewell? Yeah, and just just on the picture, um, because of publication times, we couldn't get that picture in the uh, okay. in the English version. But it will be in the uh, German version, Great. and and I re-interviewed Ella uh, to discuss it, and she talks about you know that that image is so iconic really now, but she she missed the one where Federer half a second or a second before put his hand on uh, Nadal's thigh. Mm-hmm. She, she missed that, and she only got the one only got the one the uh, the the absolutely perfect one with the two of them Mm -hmm. with their hands together so that summed everything up yeah the farewell i think i think if uh federer um tried again to dream up a better farewell he couldn't do it he had all his major rivals there to have you know nadal Djokovic, murray etc all there Mm -hmm. um taking part of it i think was was absolutely perfect And, and the sort of circumstances around that night when they play, when he played his last match with Nadal in doubles, the the press conference afterwards was about ten to two in the morning. You know, we were we were there well into the middle of the night at the O2. Um, but he he did so many interviews that that for those four or five days, it's astonishing. And he was, you know, it was like a big thank you to a lot of the people who'd been with him on the journey. And that's what he was like. He he did he did uh, remember people. He's a very personable person. And, and I think it was ideal way to go out. Shame they didn't win the doubles, but uh, yeah. couldn't have yeah. ever. I, I, I like the fact that it was still a competition, if you know, still a match at least. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Listen, final question to you both. I, I, I'll come to Simon G first, and then Simon C. Um, the book is called "The Roger Federer Effect." Uh, we can see the effect that that some people had on Roger, but in particular, the effect that Roger had on on thousands and perhaps millions, uh, probably of of others. What about the effect on its authors? Simon G, uh, I'm going to pass that hot potato to you. Uh, what effect has he had on you personally or also as a journalist? Um, well, I mean, he basically, uh, the last 25 years, uh, I'm very really grateful I could, I could cover him and uh, travel the world and uh, just, uh, I think, become a better journalist. Uh, um talking to so many people um setting up a network in in the tennis world and uh so we was uh, like trying to find new angles because there were times when it was just so normal that he would win so so uh, you would have to come up with something uh special of course um trying to aim high uh you know like because he was the best so we were trying to be quite good covering him as well so, I mean, being a journalist, it was just a great pleasure writing about him. 
And uh, knowing him uh, over the years, like meeting him quite a few times away from the court just uh, by accident, like at, at the swimming pool, indoor swimming pool at my at my uh, in my hometown or, or in the mountains uh, hiking. I was hiking with my two girls and Roger was there as well. Oh. In the Engadine. So, so just um, uh, interacting with him and like him being such a such a down to earth normal guy was was a great pleasure. And, and I wrote that in the book. Um, of course, I don't know how he is as a father because uh, I don't see him on a daily uh, in his daily life. But I, I my image of his is that he's like always very kind and very understanding and everything. So when I get upset, I have two daughters as well with my daughters. And maybe uh, I, I try to think, well, how would he, he, he have re reacted in that? And uh, I, I, I imagine he would be calm and kind of uh, funny, you know. And uh, so I, when, I, when I think about him, I, I basically relax in those situations. And uh, it's, it's true. It's, uh, I haven't made that up. So, so, so I think he's impacted me on a, on a personal level as well as kind of a um, role model for just staying uh, normal, staying humble, staying uh, just a nice, nice person. And um, I'm trying my best to be that as well. <laughs> uh, good for you. Simon C., uh, tell me about the effect he's had on you either personally or as a journalist? I used to I used to watch him from close up on a court side um, during some tournaments. And then when I got home, I would try and, try and emulate or repeat what I saw on the court, which was a big, big mistake. Because <laughs> I don't move as well as he did. I don't hit the ball as well as he did for obvious reasons. He, he is, uh, yeah, it was, it was a mistake. But it was, it was a pleasure to watch him grow through his career, you know, from... Mm -hmm being that sort of petulant teenager that we saw when he first came along to um, phenomenal player who changed, changed the sport um, in many, many ways. I, I love the fact of, you know, personally, when you saw him in the corridors, he would always say hello to you, which, you know, sounds like a very small thing. Well, it is a small thing, but it's a common courtesy that a lot of people don't do. Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of players would not do. He always did that, um, mm -hmm. which, was, which was really great. I think um, you know he 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 was he was great to write about. He was also very very good at understanding what we needed or wanted as mm -hmm. as media. Mm -hmm. So you know I remember interviewing him uh, on the top of Nike Town in New York about 2006 or seven, um, and it was when this 2007 when Tim Henman was about to retire. And I said to him, I was, we were talking, it was a one-on-one -on -one interview and Mirka was in the background, et cetera. And I was saying to him all the stuff about himself. And then I said, well, actually, um, Tim Henman's retiring uh, next week. You know, have you spoken to him? And he looked at me and he sort of thought to himself, you could see him thinking, hmm, what does he need here? What's he getting <laughs> at? He's a freelance journalist, so maybe he's going to write something else for someone else. And so he said, actually, I've, I've texted Tim and I told him that I'll, I'll warm him up for his last match. And that made one of the Sunday tabloids, you know, that's perfect, that kind of thing. So, and if you were ever writing a feature about something and you needed somebody to, to be at the top of it, to give it gravitas, mm -hmm. it would be Federer. And he would like that kind of question because it was a bit mm -hmm. different and he would really think it through. His ability to just, you know, give really interesting answers, even when he'd probably been asked that similar question countless times before was was unrivaled he, mm -hmm. he was fantastic from a journalistic point of view he'll be he'll be really missed as, as time goes by i think we'll realize how how much of an impact he had on everyone and, and his impact on tennis mm -hmm. definitely and uh he's also impacted you both because he's uh, preoccupied you for the last couple of years 
uh, or certainly the last 18 months, and he's he's occupied us three for the last hour or so. But actually, I've, I also did a series of shows the week he, he announced his retirement. I think it was in the build-up to the Labour Cup. We, we did like five or six shows on, I think, one one each on him, each of the slams. I think I did one on on, uh, on five of his best matches as well. So, so the impact uh, will continue, or the effect, perhaps I should use that synonym, will continue, uh, even to the extent that he's going to be affecting my shelf I'm going to put him uh, and your book, of course, just in front of mine, by the way. <laughs> mine is behind. I can't guarantee that will last forever. But uh, but let's do it until Christmas at the very least. Um, and, and we'll see if uh, if that makes a difference. Listen, uh, on a serious note, I want to say a big thank you to both of you for, for joining me today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. It was great. Great, great chat. Great, uh, Simon G and Simon C as well. And... I look forward to our paths potentially crossing again and, and, and good luck with the book as well. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Bye-bye. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.